Hi, I'm Pastor Dan McKnight from Copperary Community Church in Lenexa, Kansas. And I'm here to start a new sermon series that we're doing. The sermon series is called, What on Earth Do We Do with the Old Testament? You know, as I say it out loud, I think, you know, that sounds kind of remote and maybe not so relevant. Well, when you think about it, at least those of us here in our local church, nine months ago, we had a theological argument in our church, a controversy about how to, how to live out the gospel. And we had differences of opinions. The result is, though, that, that our values were clarified and our passion was intensified, but it was a disruption in the ministry that we are loving to do. And then five months ago is about when the coronavirus started. About three months ago, here in the, the heartland of America, is when we, most of us that, that didn't have a job in, in, in the medical or supply chain field or in, in groceries or emergencies, it's when we started locking down, if we could at all, and quarantining ourselves to, to stay safe and to, what's the word, flatten the curve so that, so that the hospitals weren't overrun. That was an incredible disruption. And most work, uh, work experts say things aren't going to be the same when we go back. And then about three weeks ago, all across America, in fact, all across the world, another disruption happened when the civil protests that cascaded after a video was released of, of, the, of the killing of George Floyd on the streets of Minneapolis, there's been protests against, well, against all sorts of discrimination and bias. The people of color, and particularly here in America, African Americans have experienced for, for centuries and, and still experience day after day. And it looks like change is going to happen. This is a disruption that's going to make a difference. So, so three disruptions in nine months for those of us here at this church. And you might ask yourself, why on earth are you talking about something as ancient as the Old Testament? Well, it starts with a book. Starts with a book by Andy Stanley. Now, Andy's the senior pastor of North Point Community Church in the Atlanta, Georgia metro area. He's well renowned as a, as a writer and as a leadership developer, and honestly, is a humble, gentle, and strategic thinking, kingdom focused pastor. I've always looked up to him, always respected him. And this book is part of the reason that I'm so excited about this series. You see, Andy is a, is a Jesus-following, Jesus-loving, church-loving pastor who was haunted by a question that he got asked years ago when he was taking a tour of a Chinese factory. A young Chinese woman, an assistant in the management, in the management suite, asked him a question that has haunted him ever since. And he wrote this book not to answer her question exactly, but because the question haunted him so much. And after what I've been through, what, what our staff has been through nine months ago at our church, yeah, we're a little haunted too. Like why, why would this difference of theological perspective among very good people, why was it so hard to resolve? And you know, I think the answer became clear to me as I picked up this book, I gotta be honest, it was a friend of mine who recommended this to me, and I said, oh, that sounds good, and I didn't read it. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> oh, you really like that? Okay, I'll, I'll put it on my shelf and I'll read it. One of our uh, staff 
handed me this book and said, Pastor Dan, this book is amazing. And I think it speaks to our heart. And I think it makes a ton of sense to me. The only thing is that it might be a little radical for our church. Hmm. Well, that got my curiosity up. And honestly, as I read it, God gave me a gift. Not the gift of reading something radical. Well, maybe so. The word radic, the radis, the, the, the root word for radical means roots. This book got me back to the roots of why I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And it cleared away the, the, the brush and the weeds on top. And so because this, this book helped me interpret the past and even more look forward to the future, not just of our particular awesome church, but the future of the kingdom of God on earth through the church of Jesus Christ together, this book gave me a solid, simple, systematic theology to, to put the pieces together, to put the words together that I had, I had struggled for nine months ago. This book gave a, gives us an easy-to-follow framework for making sense of how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. And what the purpose is for the people of God as they open a Bible with both scriptures, the Hebrew and the Christian ones, when they open that and long to know what it's for and what do they do with it. I am so excited that you're here today and I am so eager for you to join the, join the learning curve that we're all gonna be on together here at Caw Prairie. And I can't wait to get started. So the title of our sermon series doesn't come from the title. It doesn't come from the subtitle. It comes from that underlying theme in the book. The theme that asks us the question, have we as Christians been reading the Old Testament right? Have we been reading it in a way that makes it clear what our purpose for the New Testament is? Have we been understanding what the gospel of Jesus truly is? And have we been living according to the gospel and doing what Jesus asked us to do? And if we haven't been, then the hardest question of all is, are we willing to change? You know, change is hard. Change is hard because usually for those of us who are in some degree of privilege or comfort, we are a little bit excited by small changes, but big changes would rock our world and we kind of like the world the way it is. We've, we've figured out this world. We've figured out how to get along. And when there's change, there could be some benefit, but the part we feel the most is the cost. And so Christians throughout throughout history, and particularly throughout American history, have been so reluctant to change. I mean, when you think about it, we've been, before the Civil War, right? There were Christians who were against slavery in the North, who were for slavery in the South. In fact, I've read a book um, recommended to me by a Presbyterian pastor friend. I read a book about how Presbyterian pastors in the South justified again and again, using the Old Testament, how proper and right it was that, that African Americans were, were subjugated underneath the heel of slavery. These are Christians, Christian pastors, Christian elders, Christian believers. And they were reluctant to change. Obviously, they went to war so they wouldn't have to. So obviously, I'm talking here about the Southern pro-slavery churches of over a century ago, century and a half ago, but 
Change isn't easy for any Christians if you're from the mainline tradition, like I am, raised a Lutheran, a trained a Lutheran. You know very well that there's a lot of resistance to changing worship. We don't want to make the sermons more interesting. We don't want to make the sermons more relevant. I mean, we'll tie in relevance because that's what we do, but and we certainly don't want to make the music more appealing for a public crowd. We don't want to change. And I'm speaking to you, mainline tribe. And then there's the, then there's the evangelical, especially the white evangelical community. Who's, who's constantly refusing to quit whining and complaining about how little power you feel you have, about how, how subject to the capricious whims of government we are and how oppressed we are. Oh my word. Christians of all generations and of all stripes and colors, we are reluctant to change because at least those of us who make it to church on a Sunday morning, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are grateful for the gift we have but we don't want to pay the price of acting any differently in the world. And Andy Stanley is going to challenge you in the readings and in the small groups and in our messages to be open to a new way of perceiving God's word that's more accurate, more similar to the eyes that Jesus Christ brought to it. And Jesus Christ did not come to reinforce the old way of doing things. In fact, Jesus himself said, new wine doesn't go into old wineskins or they'll burst. We're here. We're here to speak for these next weeks about how new wine, the new wine of the gospel, belongs, <laughs> belongs in the new wineskins that Jesus wants his church to be. So all through the, the last centuries, God has wanted to see change in our country. And we Christians have not always been the ones who were willing to take a supportive role or even a leading role. And in many cases, we Christians were the foot draggers. We Christians were the, were the afraid ones. And that's not the spirit. That's not the spirit of confidence that God calls us to have. So, friends, I want to I submit to you that the way the world looks at us is, is unwilling, unwilling to change our hearts to address the problems of the world is one of the reasons that we haven't been a very irresistible church. On the contrary, it's why so many people find it so easy to resist the call of the gospel. Not because they think Jesus is a jerk, but because they think that I am. Let me read you a couple of, uh, couple of comments from uh, uh, Southern Baptist leader Tom Rainer. Um, does a blog, posts a blog, and, and he posted a few years ago some stinging comments that someone had made to his blog. He didn't post them to, to mock them or to argue them, but just to share them so that his fellow Baptists, we fellow Christians, would have some understanding for what the world thinks of us. So I read this. It was a, a young single mom, or no, I don't know single, a young mother, and she wrote this. Why not show an interest in what's interesting to me instead of expecting me to always be so interested in what you're interested in? Christians are so selfish and self-centered. Tell me, when was the last time an atheist rang your doorbell to tell you about his worldview? The reason the world hates Christians is because they behave badly. They're rude, they're boorish, they're arrogant, conceited, full of themselves, ignorant, and judgmental. Okay, go ahead and accuse me of being judgmental now. It doesn't matter because I don't claim to follow a faith that says I shouldn't be. 
So it's fine for me, but it isn't fine for you. Another one. She said, as a mother of young children in a homeschooling environment, we found ourselves surrounded by Christians. Of course, the kids would become friends and we moms would chat while they played. Without a single exception, she said, this acquaintanceship only progressed to the point that I had to make it clear that no, I would not, and she writes this as a single word, accept Jesus as my personal savior, and no, I would not be attending their church. After that, those Christian women never called again, and I was left to explain to my sad children why their new friends wouldn't play with them anymore. She said when my son was six, the boys down the street told him that he wasn't allowed to play with them because he wasn't a Christian. And the six-year-old across the street told my kids, age seven and nine, that if they weren't Christians, they were going to go to hell. She certainly learned the good news. And you Christians why we wonder why we non-Christians avoid you. Hint, it's not because we're intimidated by your awesomeness and are just sitting here wishing you would like us. We already know that you don't. That's a religion that sounds pretty resistible, doesn't it? And if you say, no, no, I don't act like that. I wouldn't say those things. She might say to you, great, then I appreciate that. You're nice, but I still don't want your faith because most of the people I know who follow it are not. I think I told you the story of when uh, Dick Frohart and I, we were planting Caw Prairie. We were planting. God was planting it. We were doing the door knocking on God's behalf. Um, we'd go to doors all around uh, northeast, northwest Johnson County, and we'd ask the same question. It was, hi, my name's Dan McKnight. I'm part of a new church that's starting in this, the Shawnee Lenox area. I'm knocking on your door to say hi and to ask if you or your family are active in a church. And this is before ring doorbells. It would be a lot harder now because I was always tongue-tied and who knows, I looked really bad with sweat. Anyway, okay, so before ring, I got that out and then I would say, if you're interested, let me give you a brochure. I didn't want to like steal their afternoon. I didn't want to talk a whole bunch unless they did. And most of them didn't. Um, I've told you stories about that, about the guy who ran away from his lawnmower and, and the, the guy who slammed the door in my face. This, this woman did not. The woman I talked to one day, she said, look, you seem like a really nice person, so don't take, don't take offense, but I don't think we want to raise our children around Christians. You know what I mean? We want them to grow up like non-judgmental and kind. And I said, of course you do. Didn't seem like a good time to defend the name of Christians because I knew exactly what she was talking about. We are, a, we are a people who have an irresistible savior who insists on behaving in a very resistible, very off-putting way. You know, which is why so many churches, so many churches not only get emptier and older, but why so many, so many people that are far from Jesus, the, 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 the spouse of the church, right? Jesus calls the church his bride. Why Jesus himself gets no glory by the churches because we, we fight. We gossip, we whine, we complain. We judge and we force our way into halls of power. We do all these things that are so off-putting to the world and so rarely show the heart of Jesus Christ. With each passing year, research tells us that an ever-growing percentage of Americans perceive white Christians, white Christians, as judgmental, anti-science, anti-gay, whiny, over-political, prejudiced, and power-hungry. 
pretty non-irresistible. You know, to put it bluntly, being a Christian is seen by so many of our, of our community and neighbors, but also by our family and friends as something they don't, not only don't need, but actively don't want. Like the lady who, who said, I seem like a nice guy, but she didn't want to get her kids near Christians. We've got our work cut out for us. And our work cut out for us isn't going to be solved by doing more of what we used to be doing harder, faster, longer, or, or, or more intently. No, in fact, I think this is why Andy's written this book and why I want us to read it. This is why those of us who love the Great Commission and the Great Commandment are asking ourselves, how is it that we are understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how is it that we're living out the gospel of Jesus Christ? And is there a way, as I said earlier, is there a way that we should change? But part of that is that even in our families, the Christian faith that we talk about, the gospel that we articulate, and the rules around being a Christian that we name and follow, they're not always very winsome. In fact, increasingly, statistically, let me get this out here. Um, I'm using a Bible. My Bible doesn't have statistics, but I've got some plugged in here. In the early 1990s, about two out of 10 United States adults were churchless, right? For 30 years ago. 20 years ago, in the 2000s, it was three in 10. Now, in 2020, it's about five in 10. Five in 10 adults who do not go to church. So if that's about one in 10 every year, that means when your kids are 20 years older, maybe they're having their first job, maybe, they're, maybe you're having your first grandchildren. You know what? It could be six or seven in 10 are not interested at all in being part of a local church. Which, which 66% of your family, of your kids, your grandchildren, are you comfortable not being part of the church of Jesus Christ where they learn to trust Jesus and grow as a disciple and, and work to change lives with his love? I'm not ready to settle for that. And neither is Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley is begging us to find the gospel that Jesus proclaimed and the gospel that the early church lived in such joy and confidence that the world flocked to find out who Jesus was and considered them ultimately irresistible. And I believe that we can be part of a revolution to help the church once again irresistibly point to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and follow him into the world <laughs> and bring people to know and declare him as their loving Savior and Lord. But no, the number one reason people don't want to become Christians is, is Christians. But the number two reason, and it's related to the number one, is that we're so, so sure that we're right about so much that we put off this, this way of being, this, this put off this, this almost put off this scent that repels. And what Andy Stanley's arguing in this book is that it is our interpretation, it is our fierce, insistent, pugnacious application of the Old Testament that makes us as Christians so resistible. So this is what we're going to get after, my friends. We're going to get after this and we are going to help the church change. Because the argument that Andy makes in here 
is that Christians have accepted joyfully the grace that Jesus Christ offered when he died for us on the cross, that the power of life that surpasses the bounds of death by his resurrection from the grave. So we've taken all the good stuff of being a Christian, but instead of putting it into a new wine skin, we've kind of kept the old wine skin of the Old Testament. And as a result, we don't have a pure new thing, the new thing that God intended to do in Jesus after the old thing had been completed and fulfilled. What we have is kind of a mismatch. And the wineskins are bursting. What we have is kind of a stew, a stew of a little bit of gospel and a little bit or a lot of bit of law. And for those of us who are churched and who do religion good, like the stew tastes great. What's the problem? But like if you've ever had someone over to your house and you offer them something that you think tastes awesome, but it's really not met critical approval anywhere outside of you, um, unchurched people don't find the, the, the mixed up porridge of gospel and law that we serve to be very appetizing at all. In fact, they're, they're dumbfounded that we could have so much excitement about something to them that seems so unwinsome, so ungrace-filled. And so Andy's argument is, there is a better way to understand the Old Testament, there is a better way to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is a better way to behave as the people who love and follow Jesus Christ. And how exactly was Jesus so irresistible? It's because Jesus loved people first. He saw something in them. He saw something in the women who were the outcasts and the minorities and the oppressed in his society, and he stopped and he talked to them all the time. People thought he was a heretic. People thought he was unrighteous because he talked to the people that he shouldn't talk to, but he did because he loved them. And he, he talks to us. And he calls us like his first disciples to be disciples who come and follow him. So I want to read you from Matthew, uh, verse four, or chapter 4, verse 18 and following. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. Now these are, these are the guys who would become his, his best friends. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. You don't drop your life, your livelihood, your family, and your future, and your finances for someone who's not irresistible. And Jesus was. But it wasn't just because he was, it wasn't because he was a movie star, it wasn't because he was rich and famous. He was dusty and dirty. But he loved them and they could feel it. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in the boat with their father preparing their nets. Jesus called them too, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. God Prairie, it is God's plan for our church, our church that was founded with the mission to change lives with Jesus' love to actually be the kind of Christians that exude the love so much that people see Jesus in us. And they want to follow Jesus because they see the grace that happens when we do. Copperary, church, Jesus wants to change lives with his love, beginning with our own. You know, you probably noticed I'm not at Caw Prairie. I'm going to give just a second now for those of you who know where I am
to write it in the chat box, and then you may or may not receive a prize. Remember, it depends on really how many people know. So you get three seconds. One, two, three. Okay. Um, put down your number two pencils. On, on we go. The reason we're here at St. James Academy in Lenexa, it's just about a mile down the street from our church on Prairie Star Parkway. The reason that we're here is because this was the place where our church almost started. We were in another school a year ahead of that, but this is the four years where our church grew, expanded, grew, and got its, got its vibe and its, its legs underneath it. This is where we started changing lives with Jesus' love. And the crazy thing about this place is that this is where our people learned so much, not only about who Jesus was, what the church was for, but also who Catholics were. I kid you not, there were wonderful, lifelong, beautiful Christians who said to me, Pastor Dan, I didn't know that Catholics could be so Christian. <laughs> you know, when you're a pastor, you're not supposed to hit people on the head. But I was tempted. I'm like, you're kidding me. They, they, had, they had not appreciated because they hadn't experienced and they had so much built-in assumptions about our Catholic brothers and sisters. Honestly, they were great to us. They gave us the run of the building for an insanely low rent. Um, they let us have sleepovers with the kids. They played Romans and Christians all over. I think they got stuck in the elevator once. They never complained. We did break one of the wings on a big angel. That was an issue, but we paid for it and they forgave us. Um, but they were so good to us here. And we learned so much because of it. Wouldn't that be cool if that's the way our church was in the world? Wouldn't that be cool if people said, I met somebody so surprisingly full of grace. I bet they're a Christian. <laughs> that's not what a majority, of, a majority of Americans now describe Christians as. And I believe, Caught Prairie, it is possible and up to you and I to be able to change exactly that. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you in the next four weeks of this series to read the book. You've got, you've got the list in the notes. You've got the list on Facebook. You've got the list. It's not quite a chapter a day, but it's a lot. And on Sunday and Wednesday nights, I want you to tune in. I want you to tune in to our Zoom meetings where we're going to see a video summary of, of the readings. Not, it won't cover much of them, but it'll cover the key stuff. A video summary and then a chance to talk. This is some pretty radical stuff. If you want to get really into the weeds, you can search irresistible critics, right? There's a lot of people who think Andy's crazy or heretic. But I think, I think like most people who are misunderstood at first, mm, say Jesus. Andy Stanley is going to make a case for a way of being Christian that will make you as excited as it made me. And I pray and I trust that because of what we learned together, Caught Prairie is not just going to be a church that wants to change lives with Jesus' love. We're going to be a church that does. I'll see you next week.